we went through a preaching series on the I Am statements, didn't we? Where we looked at how God had revealed himself in the Old Testament, um, you know, to be Jehovah Jireh, to be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, and to be all these things. Um, but the greatest revelation of who Jesus is, of who God is, came through Jesus and came through him. And he made these seven statements throughout his life and ministry, um, revealing to us about who he is. He said that he's the good shepherd, he's the bread of life, he's the light of the world. And so tonight, as we consider Christmas, and as we consider what Christmas is about, Jesus, um, we're going to be walking through some of those statements again, um, being reminded in the Christmas season with all of the kind of funny imagery and practices that we have during Christmas, like trees or snacks or movies or gifts. Um, we're going to be reminded about Jesus through those things and how those things should point us towards the great I Am, Jesus Christ. And as we begin, I'm going to read something from a guy named Sidlow Baxter who said this. He said, fundamentally, our Lord's message was himself. He did not come merely to preach a gospel. He himself is that gospel. He did not come merely to give bread. He said, I am the bread. He did not come merely to shed light. He said, I am the light. He did not come merely to show the door. He said, I am the door. He did not come merely to name a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd. And he did not come merely to point the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I'm really excited for what we have ahead of us as we consider the person of Christ. And so now I'm going to invite you to stand with us as Ray and Sally will so graciously lead us in worship. So would you join us in worship? We got the old
Jake. Talk about bread. Evan decided to give me the not Christmas stand, which I'm very, very disgruntled about. so I wrote these by hand, so I probably will have trouble reading them. <laughs> so, um, this season can be busy. Uh, there's so much to do and so many people to see. Um, all these activities are good, um, but it can become stressful. Just like it's stressful for me to stand up and talk to people. So, yeah, it's, the stress is real. Um, we often think that it's up to us to make everyone's Christmas uh, amazing. Um, a lot of people shoulder the weight of other people's happiness. Um, or you can you know, fall in the trap of comparison and, and get on social media and go to parties and, and see these people that are happy um, and wonder why you're not. Um, it's such an amazing year, but why is it so easy to feel dissatisfied and overwhelmed? Um, why do we place all our satisfaction on things that we know are fleeting? Uh, during this season, we might look back on the events of the past year with Thanksgiving. Um, we might look back um, with dread. Uh, we could still be feeling stressed or overwhelmed. Um, I want to remind you all that God sent his son, Jesus, to experience, uh, sorry, God sent his son, Jesus, who was human. He experienced all those same emotions and situations that we go through on earth still. He was human just like us. Um, while Jesus was on this earth, he lived a life that helped show us what a relationship with God looked like. Jesus helped show others how he fully relied on God for everything. Um, we're focusing on the I am, I am statements, and in John chapter 6, Jesus explains that he is the bread of life. So as we go through these verses, I hope you can see and be reminded why Jesus was sent to this earth. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus just fed a bunch of people and with just a few pieces of bread and some fish, and um, word got out. People were trying to figure out who this guy was and figure out what he was all about. And um, picking up in John chapter 6 and verse um, 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but work for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father, even God, has his seal. They therefore said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, he who has sent. They said therefore to him, 
What then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and as written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. He said, therefore, to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So, I have this piece of bread here. It's pretty amazing. Um, this is what I like to call the butt crust. It's the, uh, it's the piece of bread that no one wants to eat. It's, it's first in line, um, but you avoid it, and then it ends up all alone, and then you want to make a sandwich, and it's there, and you're like, I'm not going to make a sandwich with it, but I can't throw it away, and then you just leave it in the cupboard till it's moldy, then you can throw it away. So, butt crust. <laughs> Jesus is basically saying, um, this is what we strive for on earth, and it's obviously a symbol, and it can be so many things, um, but we ultimately know that this bread goes bad, and we throw it away, and it leaves us dissatisfied. But he offers something so much deeper. The bread Jesus offers um, will satisfy every part of our being. He offers life where we can live in his goodness and his provision. And so that is why Jesus came to this earth, to remind us that we are invited into a relationship with him, and he's there waiting to provide this bread of life that will sustain and satisfy. And so as you go about your holiday festivities, you'll probably eat bread. I hope it is not the butt crust. Um, <laughs> But some of them might be salty, some of them might be sweet or savory, um, some of them might be burnt, or have weird, like, nuts and fruit. <laughs> Just kind of weird bread. I hope you were reminded um, of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. So, just do on that. Merry Christmas. <laughs> So the I am statement uh, that I chose was where Jesus in John chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. Uh, and that's one thing that gets repeated. That's kind of a theme that gets repeated throughout the Bible. I was actually listening to um, 1 John this morning, and I was remarking on how in 1 John, I think even multiple times, it says that God is light, and that, and that in him there is, there is no darkness. And this is something that the, the people in Jesus' day 
I think would have taken very seriously. Like, we, I think, take light for granted. Most of us have a flashlight in our pocket all the time. Some of us have two, but most of us have a phone, and that has a flashlight feature on it, or, you know, all this, this whole building is all lit up. We have fancy colored lights. We have all kinds of lights. We sort of take it for granted, but back in Jesus' day, light was very precious. You couldn't, like, work unless you had light. You couldn't certainly see anything uh, unless you had light. And, and over and over again, I think that got reiterated to God's people. He even had them in the temple. He would have them have uh, a lamp burning all the time, literally all the time. This light could not go out. And to keep putting oil in it all the time for this light because it was a, a picture, a representation of God's presence, always being with them, constantly being with them. Uh, and this actually came into uh, uh, another holiday that ended up getting celebrated in winter uh, shortly before Jesus came on the scene, uh, which is what we now know today as Hanukkah. Uh, and actually, if you turn in your Bibles to John 10, it talks about Jesus going to the feast of dedication, which is the same thing. It's, it's Hanukkah. Um, and this is a celebration, and the way that they celebrated it was through uh, lights. They, they, they actually took this thing, a, a special fancy candle stand with uh, nine candle places on it. I've only got one candle because I was unprepared. There we go. But you get the idea. Nine of those. And for eight days, they would celebrate that during this uh, really, really cool event that happened. Um, this, this, uh, their temple got desecrated, and they did everything they could to um, rededicate it. But in the middle of that, they were running out of oil, and they didn't have enough time. They didn't have enough days to purify new oil. But God kept the light burning. Uh, for those eight days and nights so that they would have enough time to have enough oil to keep that lamp going uh, continuously. And it was during this feast, the, the one that they're celebrating about, about lights and about God's provision and his presence, that Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah. He said, um, I am the Christ. He, he was showing them who he was. And they weren't really ready to accept that. But Jesus came, that was, his whole, that was his whole point, right? He said that he is the light of the world. He was God's presence here with us. And he wants to be that same thing for us today. And so even though mostly celebrate Christmas here, we see lots of lights during the season. They're everywhere. And I would challenge you not to take those things for granted and to be reminded that without those lights, we, we wouldn't be able to get nearly anything done and they certainly bring a lot of cheer into the dark time that winter is. I think we feel that more than a lot of places here in, in the north. Um, and so I, I want to challenge you guys as you see lights, uh, the lights that are in your home, the lights as you're driving back to your home, uh, not just tonight, not just this season, but throughout the year, think about Jesus saying that he is the light, that he desires to be that ever-burning presence with you. And that all the blessing and benefit of light comes from being in close proximity to it. And that's what he wants for you. He wants to be close to you. He wants you to be close to him. So may that, may that be what, what you go with.
All right, first we've got the Jungian perspective. <laughs> now we'll go to the gray hair perspective. <laughs> so, as I look out today, I see a lot of you um, are a lot younger than me. But when I grew up, I grew up with rabbit ear TV. You know, you had to adjust those things just right to get this channel. If you want to go to another channel, you might have to, you know, spin them around or, or whatever. That was long before, you know, all these instantaneous things like, you know, getting VHS tapes, remember those? <laughs> and then there was DVDs. Now we're up to streaming services where you don't have to even, you know, worry about what time of the year is. But at Christmas time, we would scour the newspaper looking at the TV listings to find out when would the Christmas specials come on. And we did that because if you missed it, well, that was it. <laughs> you had to wait till next year until you could, uh, you know, see the Grinch or, or whatever. So, um, one of my, one of them that I really liked was Charlie Brown's Christmas. I don't know if anybody has seen that. But, you know, throughout that program, Charlie Brown is, you know, trying to figure out what is the true meaning of Christmas. You know, Snoopy thinks the true meaning of Christmas is to decorate his doghouse to the to the hilt with all the glitzy lights and flashing lights. And of course, he wins the best, you know, lighting award. Um, there's a scene with the tree, you know, do you go for the big fancy tree? Well, Charlie Brown wasn't convinced that's the right way to go for Christmas. Or just the commercialism that, that happens during that time. So, getting towards the end of the, the program, Charlie Brown's pretty frustrated. Nothing he does seems to fit into what Christmas is all about. And he says to Linus, can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And then we have that famous scene where Linus steps out and says, I can tell you. And he goes to the center stage and he calls for the lights. And he quotes from Luke chapter two, verses eight through 14 us all of that famous speech and he says in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, I think that one of the reasons that was one of my favorite is because Linus clearly tells us what the reason for Christmas is. So, I just kind of always ponder, why do the shepherds get to hear that great news? So here's my prop. I got a shepherd here. And Mandy said I had to be very careful because this is irreplaceable. Made <laughs> out of stained glass. But shepherds, you know, the Bible is just filled with imagery 
above a shepherd. So I'll put this down over there for now. And we see shepherds all throughout the Bible. And we see sheep throughout all the Bible. And I, you know, it is really a good um, representation about who we are. And then Jesus made this statement, I am the good shepherd. So let's start with Isaiah. You know, this is kind of, a, you know, I like, uh, that book has a really interesting verse in it that I've always, it was easy for me to remember. It says in Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. So we are just wandering, lost, doing what we think is best for us. So that's not a great picture of what we are as, as mankind, just kind of bumbling around in the, in the dark, you know, just pleasing ourselves. So in John 10, Jesus states that I am the good shepherd. So he is the competent, able, genuine, best-in-class shepherd. Or if we can use some lingo of today, He's the goat shepherd, the greatest of all time shepherd. So Psalm 23 gives us a little word picture about what that shepherding looks like. And I, this is a very comforting song, psalm to me as well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So he gives us everything we need, provision. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, righteousness for his name's sake. So he gives us direction. And go to him for direction. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. To me, that's protection. Every day, no matter what the circumstances may be. For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Boy, I would like to be a sheep in that flock with that shepherd. So it's kind of interesting, right after Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's there. I mean, his whole job is to make sure that those sheep are protected, have the right things to eat, go to the right places. And if anything comes along, he'll stand between whatever, the bear and the lion and the, and the sheep. So let's go back to Isaiah 53, 6, because I didn't read that whole verse. So it goes, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So God the Father laid on Jesus all of our iniquity, all of our sins. So Jesus came as a baby, which we celebrate at Christmas time. He lived a sinless life all to ultimately die and pay the penalty or the wages for our sin so that we could have a personal relationship with the Good Shepherd. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown.
You don't have to like my sweater. I've won many ugly sweater contests. <laughs> many of you know that I have taken on a job uh, at a retail store here in town. And like all retail stores, we've been playing in kind of an endless loop the same 10 Christmas songs. And fortunately, in our case, uh, they have probably three out of the 10 that keep getting replayed is Blue Christmas, each being sung more slowly, more sadly. And I assume it's so that we will be more caring. Uh, I'm not sure why, but it does get rather irritating at times. Uh, each of us are trying to build those relationships and, and develop uh, those things, and we end up, though, in our retail world, uh, pushing Jesus out. I'm kind of surprised, I guess, when you listen to all the different Christmas songs that are played in the stores, not one of them ever mentions Jesus. Unless, of course, you count Here Comes Santa Claus, which has the line at the end, Thank the Lord for in heaven above, because Santa Claus comes tonight. But that's about as close as you would get to Jesus being in the stores. American Christmas has been transported and adopted around the world. Carol and I were visiting one time our family in Okinawa, and uh, we were there at the middle of October throughout the beginning of November. And the first of November, uh, we went into a mall, and seemingly overnight, they had transformed the entire mall into a winter wonderland. There was, of course, the throne that Santa would sit on, and kids could come up and do the Santa thing. There was also a nativity set that was set up. It was beautiful, lit, very nicely done. Uh, and all of that I found kind of odd and different because so few people in Japan are actually Christians. Was it like 2%? And, uh, and yet, what surprised me most of all is the songs that were played in the mall were Christmas carols. You know, like, God rest ye merry gentlemen, O holy night, O little town of Bethlehem. Uh, it was being played over and over again in their malls and in their culture. Jesus wasn't pushed out of Christmas. I think in many respects, we've cheapened Christmas as time has gone by. We have made it into something that is more sentimental than it is about the savior of the world coming into the world to, to provide for us what we all need, salvation. Wilbur Reese once wrote a number of years ago a poem that I think gets us to realize what we may be doing. It goes this way. I would like to buy $3 of God, please. Well, not enough to explode my soul or disrupt my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. Oh, I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like $3 worth of God, please. 
One of the things that you find at Christmas time is that we seem to focus upon the birth of Christ, which makes sense since we're celebrating his birthday. This, I know you can't see, is a little Jesus in a manger. And uh, we tend to focus upon him because you don't have to do much. You don't have to worship an infant. After all, an infant, you, you can't really do anything for themselves. And, and we have to do everything for them. And I think we get about a $3 worth of God when we look at Jesus in that way. And when we look at Jesus that way, we begin to lessen the reason why Jesus came in the first place. If we ever think, well, gee, how, how can we know more about Jesus? And I'm assuming, because you all are here tonight, that you want more of Jesus than $3 worth of Jesus. But we don't always know how do we get more of Jesus? How do we understand more of Jesus? And I think that's exactly where Thomas was that Monday, Thursday, that day that we call the day of the Last Supper. It was on that day that Jesus said to them, your hearts must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Then Jesus sets up Thomas, and he tells them all, you know where I'm going. Thomas is just kind of beside himself at that point, and he blurts out, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. At first, we may look at this and we think in terms of the, the physical, practical aspects of it. Uh, it's kind of like Jesus said, you know, get on 90 and head east, and eventually you'll get to Sioux Falls. But then as we go back and we begin to look at these verses again, there's something much more significant being played out here. There's something much more important being presented to Thomas and to us. He goes in and he says, you, you know the way to where I am going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way and where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, oh, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was not offering a cheap uh, gas station map on how to get to a certain place. He was offering a relationship with him that would transform your life from the very moment you accept him. Nothing would be the same. It's a transformed life that, that makes you live for a better, deeper, greater purpose. It's that transformed life that he's given to us. How much of God do you want this Christmas? Don't settle. Please.
please don't settle for $3 worth of God. Instead, seek after him, understand him, know him. You know, there are many Christmas carols that we sing that really tells the essential aspects of the gospel. Ones that, that come to us in the, in the words of, uh, remember Christ, our Savior, was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power while we were going astray. These are tidings of comfort and joy. Yes, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Tonight, please don't settle. Instead, people, come, let us adore him. The one who was wrapped in swaddling clothes and he was laid in the manger because he was the sign, that was the sign that he was the savior that the shepherds came and could find the right child among all the other children. That was the one, because it was such an odd event that he would be laid in a horse trough, a feed trough. That one. Oh, come, let us adore him, not some plastic Jesus that sits outside, that glows, but instead of Adore him who is the one who created all things and is sustaining all things. When Jesus was that, that child in a manger, he was holding the manger together. When Jesus was suffering on the cross, he was holding the cross together. Oh, come, let us adore him who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of all things, the one who has come because of God's love for us, that we might be free of our sins and enter into glory with him forever. Don't settle for $3 worth of God. Come, let us worship and adore him, Jesus Christ, our Lord.
haul in a 20-footer <laughs> with the axe, <laughs> knock all the chairs over and everything as I came in here, because hey, what's Christmas without a little chaos? <laughs> and what's Christmas without a fight, right? Anybody have that happen? Family comes in, somebody says something, and then uh, people get upset, and that happens. Uh, Jesus did that in John chapter 8, uh, verse 58. Uh, he said to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. Apparently Jesus has a problem with syntax, kind of like Yoda does. Uh, he changed the whole tense of things. And made things tense when he said that because the Pharisees wanted to stone Jesus for saying those words. Before Abraham was, I am. So, for us, it was the day after Thanksgiving, and my family and some friends, uh, my kids and their families, we all load up, we go to a person's house, in, or land actually, out by Nemo, and we go out and deforest their land because it's time to go get the Christmas trees, right? Uh, that's something weird that we do about this time of year is we all go down and we, we chop down a perfectly good tree, a living tree, tie it on top of our vehicles or throw it in the back of a pickup like, um, like it's a deer or something we just bagged. And we, we haul that thing home and then we set it up and we put it inside our house. Now... Uh, when you put the tree in the stand, you know, it's usually the guys that we have to do that if it's a living tree. If you, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a weenie and you go out and get an artificial tree, okay, you know, piece of cake, <laughs> set those things up. But man, those, those, those live trees that, you know, instead of chopping them up for firewood, we set them up in our house. You, you have to put them in that stand and you have to turn those little knobs and everything and then the tree, you know, leaves this way and that way. And, you know, so the guys down there on the ground, I remember this very well, you know, my first couple of years of marriage being up there setting up a tree for my wife. And, uh, and, and she's, she's up there looking at the tree going, a little to the left, you know, and so you turn the knob so that, you know, it goes a little bit to the left. And, and, and finally, you got the thing where you think it is and you crawl out from under the tree. You've been poked in the eye a few times by the needles and things like that. And then, and then the wife says, Oh, it's, it needs to go to the right now. I'll tell you what, setting up a Christmas tree could be the leading cause to a lot of marriages coming to an end. Right? But we found this perfect stand that you just attach it to the butt of the tree, and then you just stick it in there, and, and, then, and then you just turn it this way and that way until the wife's happy, and she says, that's it, that's good. And then you step on this thing that catches it, and there it is. It's the pivot stand. You gotta get one of those. They're amazing. They will save your marriage. <laughs> What's Christmas without a little chaos and you know, without a little bit of a fight, that kind of thing. Well, you know, then we and then we decorate the, the thing, we, we hang things on it, we wrap it up with, you know, instead of Evan's podium, we wrap the tree with garland and make it all shiny and bright and, and things like that. This year I had to cut two down. Yeah, I had to cut two down. One for our living room and, and one for our dining area. And next thing you know, I'll have a tree in every house kind of thing. Why do we do that at Christmas? Well, hey, you're not I'll plug it in for you, okay? By the way, my wife is home hosting a bunch of family members, and she had this out on the front porch. 
and I stole it. <laughs> so there'll probably be a fight when I get home. <sighs> Look at that, isn't that something? <laughs> Exodus chapter 3. Doesn't sound like a Christmas story, does it? Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. It, I guess it wasn't uncommon for bushes, thorn bushes in the desert to just spontaneously ignite and burn. But this was unlike any burning bush that Moses had ever seen before. It, it was burning, but it, it wasn't being consumed. It was an unusual bush. So he said, I'm going to go look at this thing. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me. I have also seen the impression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel, or of Israel out of Egypt? God said, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses asked this question, the biggest question ever asked in the Bible. First he started off with, who am I? But now he's going to, wait a minute, who are you? And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's why the Pharisees got mad at Jesus when he said, before Abraham, I am. Because what Jesus was saying in this statement was the exact same thing that God, speaking to Moses, said. This is who I am. This is everything about me. Uh, it, it's not just I am who I am, but it's I am who I will be forever. And that's Jesus. You see, in Christmas time, there's a lot of activity going on. There's a lot of chaos going on. 
There were angels coming to talk to people. There were dreams being dreamt. There was the Holy Spirit interrupting Simeon and Anna to speak. None of these people would have known what God's plan was if God did not come to them and say, here I am. They couldn't think it up themselves. Nobody would think this stuff up, the Christmas story. God coming to take on human flesh to die for our sins. So God has to tell us that. And when God wants to make sure that we're paying attention to him, he comes himself. I am. The voice out of the burning bush. So there it is. I never thought about this before until Evan and I were talking about it. We have a Christmas tree in our houses, and it's the center of all of our decoration. It's the thing that we gather around. It's the thing that draws our eyes. And in reality, what we're doing when we crawl under that thing and get poked in the eye by the needles and all that sort of thing and get mad at our wives, and we're setting up a burning bush. A burning bush to remind us that God is with us, and God wants us to hear him. Fun thing is, is we're taking an old sermon series, The Statements of Christ, the I Am's. And after Christmas, we'll be looking at a series where it's very important to hear God, to listen to him. So I hope that as you gather around your burning bush in your homes this holiday season, that you prepare your hearts to hear. Because Jesus not only was the great I am, he was in the beginning, and he was with God, and he was God. He is the voice of the burning bush speaking to us this Christmas. I do just love to see the joy um, that other people receive. And 
when they open up a gift, or when you're opening their gift. You know, they're so excited to see you open that thing that they picked out for you, or that they made for you, or that they spent their money on for you, and they're excited to see you open that gift. And so I love giving gifts, receiving gifts, but you know what I hate? I hate wrapping gifts. Is anyone good at wrapping gifts? Does anyone actually, okay, a lot of people good. Does anyone enjoy it? You guys enjoy wrapping gifts? Okay. That is, that is a gift that I do not have. But maybe I have to wrap this for me because I just, I struggle with wrapping gifts. I cannot do it. I was homeschooled. We didn't have art as part of our curriculum. <laughs> like, oh, you read your books and you do math. And so ever since then, I've never been able to like cut straight lines or like uh, make a gift be wrapped up nicely without having to like also cut off like a random little square and tape that over just the like hole that I made um, trying to wrap my gift. I've always just been horrible at wrapping gifts. And so because of that, I really don't like it. I really don't like wrapping gifts. You know who else doesn't like wrapping gifts? Jesus. I'm gonna show you tonight why Jesus does not like wrapping gifts. Because when I think about gifts on Christmas, and when I think about the idea of wrapping and unwrapping gifts, and then I think about the I am statements, I'm reminded of Lazarus, who was wrapped up and placed in a tomb, and who Jesus came and unwrapped and brought out of that tomb. And this is where Jesus claimed to be the resurrection and the life. You see, this story comes to us from John chapter 11, um, where Jesus' friend, Lazarus, had gotten dangerously sick, and so his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus to go tell him, hey, your friend is very, very sick. Please come. And they were hoping that Jesus would come, and they would heal him, and they would keep him from dying. They would heal this sickness that he has. They said in John chapter 11, verse 3, the sisters Mary and Martha sent word, Lord, the one you love. <coughs> when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Okay, so instead of going right to Lazarus and healing him, he waited a few days. He waited three days to see his sick friend, and because he waited, Lazarus died. But Jesus told the disciples that he was doing this for a reason, that he was not healing Lazarus for a reason. He was doing this to show them that he has the power over death, that he actually, as he's going to claim, is the resurrection and the life. And he continues on in verse 14. He, he tells the disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So they went to Bethany, the city where Lazarus lived and was buried. He sees Mary and Martha. In verse 17 of John 11, it says that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. And then when Mary comes to Jesus, she has the same interaction. She says, Lord, if you have been here, our brother would have died. And she knows that he could have healed Lazarus. She knows that the Messiah could have prevented this here. Knows that he could have prevented this death. Um, but now it's too late. And now she's broken and upset. And she had to take her brother and wrap him up and place him in a tomb. And they didn't ever expect to unwrap him again. That was it. And so as much as wrapping presents stinks, obviously wrapping up loved ones stinks way more. Doesn't even compare. That's, that's the worst pain that any of us can ever experience. And what we see in this story is that even being friends of Jesus um, didn't prevent them from having to wrap up their brother. Right? They had, they had the God who heals. They had the great I am just a phone call away they were able to go and to say, hey, Jesus, come heal my brother. He was just right there. But yet, Lazarus still died. Suffering and pain and death was still part of their story, even though they were friends of Jesus. But it obviously isn't the end of the story. Because Jesus had a plan. And Jesus, the Emmanuel, God with us, entered into that pain entered into their sadness, entered into their grief. And he offered himself in this moment, just as he offers himself to us in our moments of suffering as well. So in verse 33, it says that when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who had opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This dead man who was wrapped up and stuck in a tomb was now alive and unwrapped and on his way. And the result of this, in verse 35, or verse 45, says that therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and Martha and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. And from there on, many people believed in Jesus because of this event. And many people would follow Lazarus around because they just wanted to see this man who had been dead. 
They wanted to see this man who Jesus literally unwrapped from the grave clothes. And Lazarus actually went on to spend his life as a missionary sharing the gospel, and many would believe because of him. So many that the Pharisees even wanted to kill Lazarus too, because it was his story that was leading so many people to faith in Christ. Many people believed because Jesus gave him this gift of life. And you see, this is the gift that Christ gives us on Christmas today as well, this gift of eternal life. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life for us. And that though, as Jesus' friends, we still face suffering and pain and death, we know that one day that he will unwrap us and open the tomb. And even though we celebrate Jesus' birth on Christmas, you know, we, we know the end of the story. Uh, we know about Easter, too. We know that Jesus was also put in a tomb, and a stone was rolled in front of him. And then the stone was rolled away, and Jesus took off his grave clothes, folded them nicely. I don't know why they included that detail, but he folded them nicely and put them back. And he was alive for us. That day, Jesus opened and unwrapped the tomb. And we have that hope in the future. But even more than that, we even have a hope for the resurrection and the life today, that we have this gift of Christ for us today, um, because just, bless you, just as Lazarus was in the tomb and Martha said, Lord, don't go in there, he stinks, or in the King James, he stinketh, <laughs> just as Lazarus in the tomb, wrapped in death, Stunk it. We too, uh, before Christ, when we were wrapped in sin, we stunk it. But Christ has come and unwrapped our old nature, taken off the sin from us because of what he did on Easter, because he unsealed the tomb and came alive, that he has given us an opportunity to, to strip off our old nature of sin and death and to put on this new nature of life. And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote this. He said, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And Paul says, You used to live in all these ways, but put to death those old ways, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So the gift that we have on Christmas is not just a hope for the future, but it's also this life, this resurrection life today. It's a hope that the bondage, the wrappings of sin and death that were on us have been taken away by Jesus. That though we stunk it, Jesus has made us clean. We now have in Christ this beautiful new nature. That he is the resurrection and the life. This is the best gift I think we can ever receive. This is the gift that is just given to us simply to unravel. He's the one who did all the hard work. So Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm going to invite you 
to your feet. We have a few more songs to sing. And one of the things that has become our practice here is we shut the lights off and we'll light candles for the last two songs. So we have three songs left. So after this next song, I'm going to go ahead and invite you forward to grab a candle and you'll go ahead and light it and walk back to your seat. Sound good? So with that, I'd like to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to enter into this final time. So would you bow your heads and pray? Well, Father God, we just thank you for all that you are, all that you have given us on Christmas. We thank you that you have come to be the bread of life. And even though we work so hard for the butt of the loaf, God, that you have given us yourself, the best of all. And God, I just thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you for being the good shepherd. Thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. And thank you for being the great I am and for giving us the gift of resurrection. So now, Jesus, we just come before you with a posture of thanksgiving and a posture of worship. And we just want to declare your truth to the world. So, Jesus, we just come and worship you today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>
again to our elders um, for sharing with us um, the different connections between Jesus' I am statements and these different aspects of Christmas that we practice. Now as you go, uh, would you go with the words of page that I left up here? <laughs> as you go, chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ well among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So come on, Church, grace and peace, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.